Hello, thank you for tuning in. You are listening to the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. For network or show information, visit byteradio.me or call 843-808-0777. And now, the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. Good day, everyone, and thank you for joining us for this edition of the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. Today, my special guest is Dr. Michael Grosso, and we will be talking about his new book, Smile of the Universe, Miracles in an Age of Disbelief. Humans have always had extraordinary experiences, often called miracles. An account of reported miraculous phenomena Smile of the Universe takes us beyond conventional religion and science to explore, their, uh, explore the outer reaches of human potential. Grounded in true stories and matters of fact, Michael Grosso argues for the reality of a great mind and for the human ability to communicate with that mind. In an age of disbelief, it presents a fact-based template for experimentation experimental spirituality and makes the case that every one of us rightly understood is the smile of the universe. Michael Grosso obtained his PhD in philosophy from Columbia University and has taught philosophy and humanities at New Jersey City University, City University of New York, and elsewhere. An artist and independent scholar, he divides his time between consciousness research, miracle hunting, and painting. Michael's book is available at Amazon.com and other book outlets, and you can also check out his blog, Consciousness Unbound. Okay, with that, uh, we're there. Welcome to the show, Michael. Well, thank you. I'm, I'm happy to be here. I'm I'm really um, happy to have you because this is uh, this is going to be a, a fun topic and, and I hope that uh, we will um, brighten up the listeners' day. Um, so let's start with miracles. I mean, and later on in the show, I want to talk about our environment today and miracles. But um, you know, we could certainly you could certainly use a few. So um, right, right. one of the one one of the parts of your book, you you know, you kind of lay out the. Um, the history um, behind the word and um, various types of interpretations of what miracles are. So after this research in in the book, how would you define miracle or miracles? Well, yeah, I I, uh, basically uh, use the word miracle because of its rhetorical and cheerful overtones and the root of the word, uh, the Sanskrit root of the word is smile, where we get the word smile. So that's the title. You see that there's an element of uh, uh, kindness, of humor, of surprise, as it were, at work in, in the universe. Now, that's the rhetorical overtone of the word. But my more uh, strict criterion is simply uh, I'm talking about phenomena uh, uh, that are inexplicable in terms of contemporary science. Uh, so, in other words, extra physical, mm-hmm. super physical phenomena, things like uh, levitation and whatnot, that uh, if real, and of course I believe they are, we will be writing about it, uh, there's no <laughs> mainstream interpretation 
for scientific uh, uh, interpretation. Yet, there may be okay. uh, in, in, in future. But those are the two main points, uh, the, the positive overtone uh, uh, that I want to stress behind these phenomena, but also the fact that they're a challenge to modern science. And that's okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And maybe not okay for some yeah. scientists. <laughs> right. Or or theologians too. So I mean, right. But uh, well, um, why? How, how did you get? I mean, obviously miracles. People. Um, I mean, it's a it's a global phenomenon. I've been around for eons. But what sparked your particular interest in in looking into this? You know, from a, a research standpoint. Well, I, I uh, am a trained philosopher, and one of the main ideas or challenges in, in, in the philosophy of mind is the nature of the mind. And uh, I am therefore interested in, uh, in the course of my, let's say, research on the philosophy of mind, I noticed that most philosophers and people who argue about this stuff leave out the whole realm of the paranormal, the miraculous, the inexplicable, the extra physical. And I said, well, that's a mistake. And I knew it was a mistake because I, I myself have had experiences that are inexplicable, precognitive and all kinds of stuff. So I knew that was wrong. And I then got involved in studying the literature and realized that uh, there's vast amounts of research and in history and in medical science, there, there are stories and signs and indications all over the place of all kinds of unusual uh, phenomena that we can't really explain. Turns out there are a number of very obvious uh, things that we're all aware of that are quite inexplicable by mainstream science still. One is the origin of life, which I'm not going to talk about. I'm not a biologist, but, but particularly uh, are these extraordinary phenomena uh, that um, uh, I, I came across yeah. particularly when I was studying the history of religion. And uh, so that, that, that's pretty much uh, uh, a combination of my own experience and, and the need to challenge what struck me as being completely um, missing in the mainstream approach yeah. to the to the philosophy yeah. of mind. Yeah, you know, and it's interesting, you know, if someone has a very, a very personal uh, paranormal experience, I mean, it, it's uh, usually a game changer for them. I mean, it kind of really, um, you know, forces people to um, reexamine, you know, m many of their beliefs. Now, one of the things that I, I liked about your book is, is that you, well, in the beginning, you, you talk about wanting to talk about miracles without the dogma of religion or science. I mean, that, and, and, the whole idea when I looked at that, it was kind of like you really take a balanced approach to um, examining, you know, what, what miracles are. Now, and then a little bit later on, um, you talk about, you know, uh, miracles are often defined within the context of religion, you know, of a of religious, mm -hmm. you know, set of beliefs. So, right. um, and, and I, that just kind of prompted me to think I can understand, you know, 
um, breaking the bounds of dogma. <laughs> you know, that, mm-hmm. there's mm-hmm. an important need for that. Um, so if, let's say, miracles are to, the, or to religion, what would um, an equivalent for science be? Would that be, what, just a, a breakthrough? Or, I mean, what would, you know, or, or is it just miracle, too, in, in the science context as well? Well, yeah, I mean, the, uh, as far as religion is concerned, I think uh, I, I don't necessarily interpret the cause of miracles in religious terms. But if some people choose to do that and it helps their religious beliefs, I don't have any problems there. But as for science, the, the challenge there is uh, science is pretty much mentally you know, locked down in its, uh, historically. Uh, ever since the rise of modern physical science, the assumption has been, well, if something is real and something, if something is testable scientifically, it has to be physical. And, and that is a mistake because mm-hmm. uh, yeah. just our own consciousness uh, is one of the most obvious uh, miracles, by the way, because no scientist can explain how the intangible world of our, of our mental life, of our own private inner life, can be reduced to or explained by uh, anything physical. So I'm I'm into I'm more into challenging science, and as far as religion, uh, that's a very personal thing. And I you know yeah. I'm not trying to challenge. Uh, there are some you know there is a tradition in in Christianity ever since the Protestant Reformation that says, well miracles were okay in the in the days of Jesus, but they don't occur now. And so the, 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 the Reformation led to a kind of religious repression of talk about miracles. And that was a mistake, and I would oppose that. Uh, the Catholic Church has a different attitude and, in fact, takes almost a scientific approach to miracles. And therefore, it was one of my sources for getting into this fascinating material. Wow. Um, what, where, what other sources did you, um, cause I mean, well, I, I read the book, but I mean, for the listeners, can you, would you share what some of those other sources were? Oh, well, there, there are history books that, mm-hmm. uh, letters that, that people write, um, special groups that from time to time, um, in various parts of the world have assembled. And I mentioned some of them, but I don't cover it all. I realized as I was writing this book, uh, I wrote an early draft of it many years ago, only just recently I got back into it. And I realized that if I wanted to really, you know, update everything, it would cost me another couple of years (laughs) because there's so much material. Mm -hmm. So instead I stuck with what I had and tried to make it as clear and as effective as possible. So uh, there, you know, Miracles are taking place. I myself uh, engineered, if you will, to use that funny term, a miracle in one of my classes once uh, in which uh, I ended up suggesting uh, that my students perform an experiment which involved lifting a a 200-pound ex-marine into the air uh, for female students just touched him on the elbows and under the knees and they, they, we chanted a little bit and breathed in unison and when I said lift I was completely shocked I didn't think this was going to happen because someone had suggested why don't you try this 
game that we used to play when we were kids. So I did it in the classroom with a big, heavy, you know, guy, and it worked. And uh, everybody was completely astonished, including myself. And so, uh, and you know, so that's one one reason, uh, one of the many reasons that I've gotten into this uh, material. And uh, I'm not, you know, shy about emphasizing its reality and challenging yeah. people uh, on that. Yeah. Yeah. Right now, I mean, you, you know, um, right now it's interesting because, I mean, it's like miracles have this odd place where um, I would think good majority of people believe in them. Many people would probably say they've experienced them. Um, and yet, you know, discussing them as part of, you know, any kind of, um, for you know, career, it can be a career ender, you know, talking uh, yes. about them, you know. Yes, and, that, that, that's true yeah. enough. I can tell a lot of stories about that and, and trying to get a book published uh, on the, by a mainstream publication could be a bit challenging. And uh, uh, people who write about these things try to somehow obscure the real challenge. And they'll try to they'll talk about the, the gender related factors in certain reports of miracles or uh the political dimension uh, and so forth so you're absolutely right it could be career ending and or at least challenging and uh in many cases if you talk about this and i find that quite shocking uh that there's such an antithesis such a, uh, an antipathy sorry is the correct word yeah. uh on the part of some people but yeah it, it yeah no that's it's true you know and um, I, I just think that, you know, as the discussion, you know, just as there's more discussion and it becomes, you know, kind of in people's awareness that there's going to be, do, do you feel that in, you know, in the last, you know, like five, 10 years that um, there's more of a discussion uh, that, that, that it's, I mean, that some of that, um, prejudice or, or that preconceived ideas that some of that is, you know, giving way to maybe people believing more? I think so. I think there's, there are a lot of uh, mainstream scholars and doctors and uh, professional people who have experiences and they're getting bolder and, and are more willing uh, to talk about it. Oddly enough, just the other day I, I found something on uh, I ran into an article that was published in the New York Times back in 2017 and uh, stating, really coming flat out and admitting the reality of UFOs. Now, that's another mm-hmm. area that, that interests me, but uh, and many phenomena, psychic phenomena, are associated with the UFO phenomenon, but there is an increasing pressure uh, on uh, government officials and scholars and researchers to take that area of taboo phenomena uh, mm-hmm. more seriously. And, uh, and I think the medical professionals, uh, the ones who are also more likely to be interested in miracles in the sense of, uh, you know, remarkable, unexplained healings, uh, and that takes place all the time under a variety of circumstances, 
I mean, the whole idea of the of the, uh, of the placebo, really, <laughs> is, is quite mm-hmm. fascinating yeah. because there you have just a, a belief, and it's very close to religion. I mean, the religious people say, have faith. And, and maybe you know you you'll be you get something out of that faith, and scientists tend to discard that very notion. But uh, th- that may not be the case. It may be that your attitude toward the possibility of something could increase the plausibility of, or the possibility of it actually occurring. And so, yes, I think yeah. to your question, there are uh, all all kinds of signs of a growing interest. And a, a new a new consciousness, perhaps, about what is possible in in, in human experience. Yeah, I, yeah, so, I agree anyway. very much. <laughs> yeah, you know, me too. Yeah. <laughs> me too. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Um, well, one of the um, areas in the book, um, a, a topic that you um, discuss, is called um, mind at large. Um, ah, a, a ah. hypothesis of mind at large, and. Right. I, you know, I had I had never heard that phrase or that term. Um, would you mind sharing with the listeners about mind at large? I think it's interesting. Sure. Well, the term itself comes from Aldous Huxley. Uh, he used he was the first to use it, but the idea of it is is rather simple and very very dramatic, and I believe absolutely important. Now, we all believe that we have minds, personal minds. Some scientists say the mind is an illusion and all we really have are brains. And I think that's nonsense. I'm not going to argue against that. Uh, Common sense. We all basically say, well, what's on your mind? You don't say what's on your brain. Uh, But, I mean, we use our brains to think and to have mental uh, activities. But, But what we... So common sense holds that we have minds, although science is a little suspicious about that. But we won't worry about uh, science right now. But <laughs> now, now we can go a step further, however. When we study the mind, there are certain features or aspects of mental life, both which can be analyzed philosophically and as well as empirically, which suggest that our, our personal minds overflow on special occasions often unexpectedly, into other minds. So when you think about it, uh, our bodies are clearly separate in space, right? Uh, I mean, your space, your body is, I'm not sure where you're located. I'm in Charlottesville right now. And we've got a lot of space between us. But our minds are not in space to begin with. The mental, I mean, try to grab hold of yesterday's dream. Right. It's not tangible. It, it's a mental uh, event. So mm-hmm. given the fact that we have certain phenomena like telepathy where our minds overflow into each other or psychokinesis where we might influence the mind of another person, even the body of another person, it becomes increasingly plausible to postulate that there is one big mind of which our personal minds are a part and an aspect. And that, of course, would explain how things like telepathy are possible. Uh, at a deep level, the, un- the, the my understanding is uh, our minds, your mind and my mind, are connected, are part of a single mind. You know, think about mind. You can't divide it up into fragments. 
I mean, take any mental uh, quality mm-hmm. or effect that you can identify. It's not like a part of the body that we might associate with the mental. Uh, even a pain, the pain itself, I may feel it, but the location and the tangibility and the physical reality of the pain is something else. And it's very puzzling about pain because sometimes people have pains where there is no physical uh, wound. Uh, and so, I mean, that's just one example. But so mind at large is the assumption that they're of one great mind. Now, it turns out that philosophers and mystics, uh, especially in the Far East, uh, have come up on their own, quite apart from Michael Grosso, uh, with the idea of, uh, of, of a great mind, of, a, of, a, of the one mind. Uh, and uh, so, but what I'm trying to do, and others like myself, are trying to ground those uh, primordial and perennial intuitions that people have had about one great mind. Uh, we're trying to make it more credible and, and more piece by piece uh, believable uh, by you know looking at specific examples and showing how uh, our minds are connected in, in all sorts of fascinating ways. So it's not enough that yeah. that makes the, the notion clear. Uh, yeah. One mind. So how does yeah. how, how would how would you differentiate um, that from you know like you know um, the idea of a collective unconscious or or God or universe? Yeah, or, yeah, you know, yeah. Absolutely, yeah. God comes in because I think traditionally, I mean, I am not and I am religious. Okay, both. It's in the sense that I respect people who have religious beliefs. Whatever their beliefs are, I respect anyone's beliefs. But I I suspect, or okay, my theoretical attitude is that there is one underlying mind that all human beings are part of, but different traditions and cultures and different periods of history have interpreted some of the more unusual experiences that they've had in the light of that, uh, 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 in light of the mind, and they call it God, or they call it an angel, or they call it a devil if it's on the dark and shadowy side. So um, I believe that uh, when I talk about the one mind, I'm being sort of a minimalist. I'm saying what the Mm -hmm. raw, basic, underlying fact that we are allowed to assume. Whereas, you know, if your experience, by you I mean any person's experience or culture, uh, has um, tunes into one aspect of mind at large, which is part of their tradition, you know, I completely, I don't have a problem with that. Uh, and uh, I don't, obviously, we have, throughout history, human beings have named things differently, named their extraordinary experiences, explained things differently. But what I hope to have done in this book, and again, I'm not the only one who has worked with this idea, is to suggest that there is an underlying oneness of mind and spirituality that 
explains in the end all of the different religions and all of the, the, the personal unusual experiences that people have because as long as we're alive, we're in our minds and, uh, and perhaps after we're alive too, but that's another question, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> issue. That's a whole different Which show. Which we can talk about it. Here. Which I'm happy to talk about that if you like. But uh, anyway, does that help uh, my account oh, it does. Of, oh, it does. Yeah. of the big, big mind? Big mind, I call it simple. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, and when I was reading, you know, about that, I mean, in addition to the idea that, uh, that Aldous Huxley, you know, that in a, a mescaline intoxication <laughs> right, experience right. that might have, you know, kind of, uh, you know, helped shed that uh, limiting perspective. Um, but what what I liked about you know the um, the idea of mind at large is, is that it um, to me, uh, when you think about a mind, you think about all of the different things that are you know working interchangeably and and mm-hmm. all of the operations that it's covering. I mean, it's to me it's a to me it's a good um, uh, explanation um, as far as uh, kind of what what we experience with, without regard to um, you know religion or beliefs. I mean, mm-hmm. to me it's just like each one is a unique connection to that big mind mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and um and each, and each is is good is important you know, contribution to that mind right right and and and, and yeah the similarities and the uh it, it, it makes for tolerance too <laughs> i'm not exactly uh, friendly to the notion that uh, you know, some people uh, and they're entitled to their belief that their religion is the one true one. Uh, mm. but, you know, there is an ecumenical trend in the world today. Most, I think, the tendency of of the great uh, religious traditions and the people leading them, I think they're moving more and more in the direction of a an ecumenical sense of the commonality of, of the underlying spirituality of human experience. I hope so, anyway, that that's where we're moving. Yeah, towards I, I, I hope so, too. And I, I, Yeah, and I think, you know, just what you're looking at, when you see trends in, you know, religion from a dogmatic point of view, that, you know, those, those um, that interest is de- decreasing, which is a good thing, because I think, you know, once we all um, recognize that, you know, each one's path is the perfect path for them, you know, right. with, all, with all of the different trimmings that they picked this time around, you know, that it's all perfect. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, gosh, we're about halfway through the show, Michael, so I want to take just a, a quick break. Um, I do want to invite listeners, if you would like to call in and ask any questions, you can call in at uh, 619-789. Four three five nine, and those listening live in the chat room, if you have any questions, feel free to post them there. Um, and then we, when we come back from the uh, break, Michael, um, any book you talk about living by miracle. So uh, I'd like yeah. to talk a little bit about that. <laughs> okay. Sure. Sure. Absolutely. Great. Great. Okay. Everyone, stay tuned. We'll be right back after this very brief break. Hello, this is Robert Sharp. I want to thank you for joining us and hope that you are enjoying today's show. 
just a reminder that we have a wealth of information and resources available on our website, byteradio.me. There is a calendar of upcoming shows along with an archive link that will give you access to more than 1,400 shows we have had over the past nine years. Also on the site is a link to the products and services we provide, books, photography, a wellness store, and self-publishing assistance. Our show is a free podcast on iTunes, Blog Talk Radio, iHeartRadio, and TuneIn. And you can subscribe for free on any of those platforms by using the links on our website homepage. We are on many social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, etc. And we also have buttons to those platforms at the top of our homepage. Our website, ByteRadio.me, has much for you to explore and enjoy. I also very much appreciate you supporting our guests, and especially today's guest. And now, back to the show. Okay, everyone. Thank you for staying with us again today. My very special guest is Dr. Michael Grosso. We've been talking about his new book, Smile of the Universe, Miracles in an Age of Disbelief. And again, Michael's book is available at Amazon.com and other book outlets. Okay, so with that, we're back. Michael? Yep. Okay, uh, great. So, so Living by Miracle, what, what, tell us a little bit about that. Ah, yes. That, that is a phrase that I uh, borrowed from the great poet William Blake, and uh, where he says, uh, I live by miracle. And uh, so I thought that was kind of a neat phrase. So the question then is, what are the variables or the circumstances that uh, allow for the occurrence of these unusual experiences that people have? And uh, it turns out there are a number of things that we can talk about. But uh, certainly the, probably the most important or one of the most important uh, a- aspects of uh, living by miracle is uh, having uh, spending a lot of time focusing your attention inwardly. Uh, the inner life where we pay attention to our moods, our feelings, um, and um, what's going on inside of us uh, is something that the, that, that happens, you know, by accident sometimes or deliberately. Mm-hmm. By accident, when a person has a near-death experience, they're forced into their own minds, and that's when some extraordinary things tend to happen. Uh, the the mystic or the yogi or the, the saint or the ordinary everyday person who wants to tune in to his or her higher self, deeper self, richer self, uh, will meditate uh, and will uh, try to reduce the distracting influences from the external world. Uh, that's why solitude... Uh, the monastic orders and uh, the Indian, let's say, Native American uh, uh, Indian 
mm-hmm. vision quest is based on spending days by yourself in, in total solitude. Not eating, fasting, for example, is another way uh, in which we uh, uh, sort of just slow up everything, slow up the biological process, slow up the input of, uh, of stimuli, and when things get very quiet and the very um, uncluttered, so to speak, that's when there are greater likelihoods of uh, uh, insight, uh, mm-hmm. answers to prayers, uh, uh, apparitions of, you know, uh, we, for example, uh, another example would be uh, the, the dream state where we're totally inside our minds. And very often paranormal phenomena take place uh, in, in, in dreams. There's a lot of literature on, on that. So that's one, one aspect. Uh, but on the other hand, there is, there is another way that uh, living by miracle seems to work, and, and it's sort of the opposite. Instead of withdrawing, it involves uh, excitement, firing the body up. For example, the, the dance uh, uh, cult of Dionysus in the ancient world is quite fascinating, uh, in which the, uh, the leader of, the, of that cult would stimulate, would get women <laughs> women were, were more uh, participants and, uh, and the men were sort of uh, mm-hmm. leading it in a way, but both of them together were necessary. And they would dance, they would get, and, and the curious thing is that they would emphasize uh, climbing up mountains uh, and mm. finding lonely places at the top of mountains. And that's a process where you, you breathe heavily uh, you sweat, you get physically excited. So you see, you, you wonder, well, why, what's the connection between overdoing the stimuli and reducing the stimuli? Why are they both, you see, uh, possibly mm-hmm. ways of living by mirror? And the answer, I think, is this. Our normal mental life is designed to adapt uh, to the physical world that we're struggling, our bodies are, uh, have to survive in. So normally we're paying attention to things outside of us, to the things that will support us, help us, and so forth. That's normal life. But when our consciousness shifts away, whether it be by an inward thrust of attention and focus, or whether it be by breaking up the normal everyday patterns of living and doing Mm -hmm. wildly exciting things, taking drugs, dancing wildly, and so forth. Uh, Either one of those approaches distracts the mind from its ordinary function, which is to pay attention to just the survival of our bodies. So in those gaps, those moments of emptiness, of silence, uh, it's as though there's room then for the whatever the form, the miracle, the extraordinary event is going to take place uh, to take place uh, in in, the, in that state where the mind is uh, has departed from its usual everyday functions, and so yeah. 
that's the idea uh, behind it. So, for example, spontaneity of behavior, being very spontaneous uh, is the kind of thing that is more likely to lead to something uh, uh, exceptional or extraordinary. Uh, Miracles are not likely to happen while you're, you know, at your job and every day. Uh, business, whatever it is. It's always the extraordinary mm-hmm. situation where you're torn out of your normal context and your con- your consciousness, so to speak, is temporarily, I don't know, naked, vulnerable, mm-hmm. and things can happen. Mm-hmm. And they can be unpleasant sometimes. Some people go crazy. They get possessed <laughs> in dark ways. Yeah. But others, you see, uh, 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 get a smile of the universe as a result of being totally disrupted. So uh, that, 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 that's the gist of uh, behind, that, uh, behind that phrase about living by miracle. It's not ordinary yeah. everyday life that does it. It's, it's being fractured or, or torn out mm-hmm. in the normal uh, context of life that seems right. more likely to, to do that. Right. And, and one of the, I think one of the important parts of, um, the message in the book, for me, it seemed, was to mm-hmm. uh, to, to recognize that the miracles are happening all the time, you know, around. I mean, literally, I mean, when you consider the idea of a dream even being a miracle, I mean, they're happening all the time. Um, and that, that it's just sometimes we get, I guess, maybe immune to just how, you know, crazy out of the ordinary some things are. Well, yeah, if I understood you uh, correctly, I mean, you were sort of saying what I was saying before, that just uh, ordinary life and, and, and the habits mm-hmm. and the beliefs that weigh on us and, that, uh, and the, un, the unchallenged beliefs, uh, the unquestioned beliefs make us, in a sense, more solid, rigid, and opaque to the novelty of uh the novelties of life in general. We don't notice things. Uh, so that in one sense, there's an element of safety and predictability about right. ordinary everyday life. But at mm-hmm. the same time, that those conditions are preventing you from the possibility of inspiration, growth, novelty, and adventure. And that's exactly. how I would... So- yeah, no, I agree. Now, one one um, thing you had mentioned, I think it was before the break, we were talking about how you, in essence, kind of engineered the miracle, you know, with the, um, the raising of the, the man. Um, right. Let's, let's talk about that. The idea that we can contribute or even maybe plant the seed for a miracle. To me, that's... Um, uh, it seems to be like taking a proactive, um, creative approach to, to miracles mm-hmm, rather mm-hmm, than just mm-hmm. being the recipient. Yes, yes. Well, you know, I, I think that the spiritual people throughout, the shamans, mystics and all that, they, they take, I mean, they uh, uh, assume a, a positive, proactive stance. It's exactly as you just phrased it. And they do it by what? Fasting, isolating themselves, or sometimes the opposite, joining uh, uh, groups and, uh, you know, 
uh, 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 where there are sort of, you know, uh, dance and the music and so forth. I mean, as I pointed out before, there's the inner and the outer a- a- approach, but uh, de- but definitely, uh, if a person wants to explore his or her inner life, uh, there are many things uh, that that can be done. W- one thing I'd like to say is this, and I've I had reason to note this fact lately more than once. The, these phenomena do require um, repetition and doing something. For example, I may have mentioned in my book the story of a uh, uh, of a weather changing phenomenon of, of a of a, of a uh, uh, an Indian uh, mystic who uh, was able to control the weather by chanting. And, and, but but the point is he did it for hours upon hours. In the case that I that I report in the book, uh, by a man named Barker, I believe is his name. Uh, what he witnessed and what he saw uh, and heard about, I mean, he saw the effect. He was in the middle of the storm when it was when it was quieted down. But the person who was performing this operation, this uh, chanting, was when added. Maybe eight or nine hours nonstop. So I'm not saying that it always has to be like that. Sometimes these remarkable right. things just happen instantaneously. But in terms of being proactive about and, and living uh, by miracle, as uh, to, to come back to that phrase, it I think it takes some uh, extreme efforts. Uh, that's why when we're forced into extremities, these things happen. Extreme danger, uh, near death, or, and the near death doesn't even have to be physically near death. There are people who just mentally are so depressed, they might just be thinking of committing suicide, and then suddenly they'll have a near-death experience. Uh, these are rare, but, but it happens, you see. Uh, almost any circumstance where we are thrust into a situation where we're, so to speak, seriously threatened and discombobulated, uh, our guard is lowered, as it were, and uh, it's as though we're open. Inadvertently, we open ourselves up to the transcendent, to use that word, uh, influx more readily un- under those circumstances. But, uh, yeah, I think it's possible to change our lives. Uh, one of the odd things about this uh, Pandora, uh, Pandora, did I say, <laughs> pandemic, uh, is that... Uh, Pandora's box. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. It's a wonderful opportunity if, for some people who are being forced to sequester alone I'm one of them, you know. I happen to be live alone, so I'm more alone nowadays than I usually am, and um, and more in than out, especially with 98 degrees weather every day. But uh, I see this as an opportunity to um, get more deeply into myself, uh, and um, so uh, we can all try things and do things 
if we want to awaken these potentialities in us, which is what how I see the point behind your question. Uh, and uh, we're not totally helpless and passive in the face of our miracle potential, so to speak. Um, yeah. And, uh, yeah, like that miracle potential for sure. <laughs> now, you said transcendent, open up to the transcendent. So is that... Is that different from the big mind? I mean, what what, what, well, what do you uh, the, mean by transcendent? Yeah, the word uh, is uh, used as a verb. Uh, you know, it literally means climbing over, mm. uh, so literally. And uh, so we're in sort of boxes. We're all in boxes of, that conceal and limit our perceptions. So any unusual event uh, or effort on our part or even an accident sometimes, uh, bumping your head against something could, a serious bump in the head could sometimes uh, cause a moment of, tran- of transcendence. A dream. Uh, so I, it, so it's the verb is of climbing over, of getting beyond your everyday perception of reality. That's one sense which I use the word. But also the transcendent is sometimes used to describe, as you suggested before, uh, the mind at large. The the source of our Mm -hmm. transcendent experiences is outside us. We, in our efforts to grow and evolve, attempt to transcend the limitations within us. I don't know if if that's a helpful way of putting it, but uh, that's what I would say about that. Word. Sometimes it's a nice word to use if you want to avoid religious associations. <laughs> uh-huh. uh, and uh, I, I'm not anti-religious. I just I'm trying to. No, I understand. Talk, yeah, yeah. I'm just t- talking you know, about these phenomena yeah. that, uh, apart from religious biases, and apart from scientific biases, I think we need to create our own language and our own. Uh, form of expression to escape the many depressing influences upon us. Uh, <laughs> and, and uh, you know, I think some people, a lot of people are, are afraid of their religious upbringing because they were frightened by the thought of hell or something like that. I mean, I, oh, yeah. I, I do all of, I, I do that when I, by the time I was 15, I, I just said to myself, I just don't believe God is a sadist. One is going to torture right. somebody for all eternity in hell. That just—I don't believe that. Period. And uh, so, uh, so sometimes we use different language to to describe yeah. things that are spiritual. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's just just like having a different, you know, uh, you know, different languages. You know, I mean, there's different ways of expressing exactly. the same thing. So, yeah. and that can make a big difference. Uh, I mean, if you if you tell somebody. Uh, last night, uh, God performed a miracle on me. He's going to shake his head. But if you just tell a story of an extraordinary thing that happened to you that's inexplicable, well, you know, uh, there might be a greater willingness to listen, unless the person is uh, part of that religious belief system, and then they'll, mm-hmm. they'll take it as confirmation. But uh, I, I don't make those assumptions. I assume that everyone's got their own way of looking at the world, and uh, we're not living in medieval times. This is modern scientific age, you know. So I have to respect yeah. that 
way of looking at the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm in South Carolina, so whenever when anything like you know uh, that would seem miraculous that happens, it's like, yep, you know, God looked on on you, or you know, I mean, it's you right, know, they, right. they're quick to give God credit, you know, for right. But um, you know, but again, you know, for me, I just you know, it, it's not. It's not what you call it. It's just what it is. That really is what the interesting thing is. Yeah. So now, um, in your book, too, you also address the idea of um, dialogue with the transcendent. Um, so and, and it was interesting. I, I think in there you used the, the example of automatic writing. Um, and mm-hmm. you know the, the fact that if anybody's ever doodled, you know that they're kind of giving giving way to that kind of activity. Is that correct? Oh yes, and uh, oddly enough, I, most of my paintings are the product of doodles. Uh, I will, when I'm doodling, I'm not even thinking, and so it's the unconscious, and I'll get a pattern or. I'll make a face and do something weird, and well, suddenly I get an idea. I can make that into a painting. So yeah, that, I would call that a form of dialoguing with the transcendent. And, and uh, you know, a more common example, illustration would simply be prayer. Uh, and uh, you know, and everybody knows about prayer. And I suppose that I have a feeling that some people who have believe they've outgrown their religious beliefs, not, not everyone does, of course, they realize that. Uh, if you spoke to them about dialoguing with their creative unconscious, they would say, okay, I'll try that. But if you said, <laughs> try praying to God, then they'll go, oh, no, I can't do that. I gave that up on <laughs> uh-huh. So I think it's very important to, yeah. to uh, keep creating new languages and new images to inspire the stuff that's in us. And we don't really know. We don't know what's inside us. There's so much, and there are so many mysteries. And, uh, you know, it's a constant exploration, I think, uh, if we're willing and, and if we're open-minded enough to want to explore. Uh, there's no end of possibilities. But, uh, yeah, yeah, I agree. You know, and um, it is uh, in how you... Or phrase things or approach things, you know, um, you know, like the idea of, um, you know, dialogue with with your uh, with the transcendent, and then um, prayer, you know, saying the prayer. I mean, for some people, they're they're going to jump on the idea of prayer because it's within their frame of reference, you know, that, that right. um, like they know what the objective is, they know what to do, mm-hmm. you know, and, mm-hmm. And, uh, mm-hmm. and they can go ahead and do that. And then for for other people, it's, um, no, give me a different way. I don't want to have to follow that particular way. Right, right. uh, On the other hand, I, you know, I used to watch my mother pray. I'm not going to put my mom down, right? (laughs) (laughs) She she put me down, right? (laughs) Yeah. Well, I used to to really um, question um, the, just the, the 
the dogma and the and, and some of the ritual. Now, I, when I was young, I was uh, an altar boy, <laughs> a Catholic altar oh, boy. Uh, so I mean, uh-huh. learned the learned the mass in Latin. Didn't know what one word of what I was saying, you know. But uh-huh. I mean, it just you know, I was it was proof that you right. can you know talk the language without knowing what you're talking about. But um, right. you know, it, it was it, you know it was from you know that point on. You know, that was kind of. Uh, one of the things that I, I recognize that for some people um, it's familiar, you know, and, and it's important mm-hmm. to them for for their frame of reference. And um, mm-hmm. no, not for me, but but that's okay. Mm-hmm. And um, mm-hmm. so uh, mm-hmm. yeah. I think it's just you know, and I think if we approach that, you know, in today's environment, how we interact with people in general, that. Um, we would just have so much less fighting, <laughs> so much yeah. less acrimony going around. Right, right, exactly. Uh, and uh, I, uh, uh, you know, I, I wasn't an altar boy, but I, I grew up in a, in a Catholic uh, family, mm-hmm. and uh, it was all very nice. I never had, never, I have no, not one bad thing to say about my upbringing. A lot of people do. Uh, yeah. The only thing that. Uh, that that you know that got me uh, a little uneasy was associating terrible sin with sexuality. I mean, I, you know, oh, I'm a kid, yeah. a guy. I'm like, I mean, I couldn't, uh, you know, I like girls and stuff, and uh, that that didn't make sense to me. Uh, that 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 sort of uh, excessive criticism, you know. I used to go to confession. Yeah. I did a dirty thing, and the priest would say, "Did you do it by yourself?" <laughs> I said, Unfort- "Unfortunately." <laughs> really? What is it to you? Uh, right. My business. Right. Well, well, this has really been a, a wonderful conversation, Michael. So, you know, for people well, who are kind of um, out there right now in our little uh, COVID pandemic environment. Um, uh, you know, any, any words do you have for them? You know, regarding miracles. I mean, I'm sure there are probably people a lot there right now who's thinking I could use a miracle or two. So yeah, um, yeah. Well, I just say, I, I, uh, keep your mind open and and ask. Yeah. Ask. I mean, you see, in other words, an active reaching out toward whatever it is that you need. Uh, I, I, I do believe in the power of uh, a prayer. I mean, when we pray or when we uh, talk to the transcendent, if you prefer that way of putting it, uh, mm-hmm. we're, we're, directing, we're directing our minds. You see, the movement of the mind in a certain direction can create effects. Uh, we didn't talk too much about the psychokinesis, but uh, the mind has powers that we completely uh, un- tend to underestimate. And uh, that's one of the main aims of my book is to convince people that their own minds are a treasure trove of mystery and of power. So take the time out while you're sequestered home. Get into yourself. Explore your own mind. That's what I would say. Yeah, and, and and create a few miracles. <laughs> Engineer yeah. miracles for, right. for other people. Make their day. Make their day. Well, th- thank you, Michael. I really appreciate your time. I, I really well, thank you. It was, it, was a, 
a great pleasure from my point of view, too. Thank you so much, uh, Robert. Okay. You're very, you're very welcome. Bye-bye. All right, Again, everyone, today my very special guest has been Dr. Michael Grosso. We have been talking about his new book, Smile of the Universe, Miracles in an Age of Disbelief. And again, you can find out, find Michael's book at Amazon.com and other leading book distributors. So everyone, I want to thank you for joining us for this edition of the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. And until we meet again, thank you for tuning in. You've been listening to the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. Remember, our show is available as a free podcast from Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio. To follow our show, visit our homepage at byteradio.me and select the platform you use most. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at ByteRadioMe. Until we meet again, remember to be a bright light by bringing inspiration to your world and to the lives of those you touch.